Thank you everyone for coming out today on this beautiful yet cold and slightly snowy Sunday. Um, again, um, Oan and even the Zendo is nothing without our Sangha and the presence of everyone here. Um, I'm sure if we weren't here, the flying squirrels and deer and bear would all welcome themselves into this four wooden walls, but with all of us here, it has a great energy this morning, so thank you. Um, and also, uh, thank you for uh, Mado and um, Patty for supporting me as Doshi this morning. I uh, looked back in my notes, and I was Doshi one year ago, I think this weekend, so it's been one year <laughs> since I had practiced, so um, thank you again. Um, so... Uh, two weeks ago when we had tea, there was a conversation around, um, attachment and identity, and somehow we pivoted into business and marketing and branding. And the conversation I think really started when we talked about social media and how we tend, not maybe all of us, but how a lot of people are presenting themselves and branding their identity to the world. And we talked about some inherent suffering that was happening in that space, um, real suffering. And in particular, um, there have been data and stories to be shown around uh, teenagers and young people that are getting sucked into this digital space where they are projecting themselves, creating a story and identity in a particular way to feed into their ego when they're quite young and aren't really sure how this is manifesting into suffering and anxiety and fear. Um, and some young people have gone on to harm themselves. So uh, we just talked about social media and marketing and branding and business and it turned into this really interesting topic. And so I, um, in the day, I work for the Smeal College of Business, and I am in a career coach and work with many business alumni, um, but I'm also in the graduate program in corporate innovation and entrepreneurship. So um, much of what I do in the day and now at night in school talks about um, marketing and branding and entrepreneurship and the types of companies and the founders and the people who build these organizations and what they do to sell their products and merchandise and uh, get people to identify with their brands and um, companies and individuals who have gone on to do some not some great things, but then so many wonderful things that are happening in this space that um, really tied into what uh, I've personally learned here um, at Oan in the last almost two years since I started coming here. Um, and also how it ties a little bit into some of the, I guess, the the opportunity for uh, Oan to grow. Uh, we've talked a little bit about marketing and branding and being people in and fundraising and trying to uh, continue to build Oan to support its you know mission for greater good. So um, anyway, that's kind of the stew <laughs> which brought me to the place I am today and a little bit of the research I've done. Um, what was really helpful for me was last night I was um, drafting a paper for one of my entrepreneurship courses and um, the question was, have you ever been an entrepreneur? Um, have you started a business? If you haven't, 
Are you interested in starting a business? What are all the things you need to go through to start a business? What kind of business would you like to do? Um, and so I have owned a small business, and I may talk about that a little bit, um, business I owned in Boulder, and so many things that I learned and ultimately why I stopped that business and went on to something else. Um, but ultimately, in this research paper, um, it asked, you know, do research on what it would take to start a business in Pennsylvania. And I did that. It was a little cumbersome. And then, you know, how would you brand or what type of business would you like to file? And so there is... Um, corporations that you can file, but there's also now what's called a B Corps. So uh, B Corps are companies that have gone through rigorous protocol and assessment to uh, verify, identify and verify their company brand and mission as a force for social good. And so the more that I uh, read about that, thought about what I might like to do in my future as a businesswoman and then how it tied into the work or the practice that we do here at OON um, and some of the really amazing B Corps that are out there and some of the practices that we could kind of pull into utilizing here to grow on. There's a lot of um, interconnectedness. Um, so um, in tying what I've, I know what I've researched around business, um, but also more importantly um, around the practice we have here um, at OON was, um, this origin of suffering is attachment and how it is the second noble truth. Um, and again, I am no like, real authority or practitioner here in Buddhism, so I welcome at the end of this talk for us to have maybe just a little bit of dialogue, maybe any clarification or even critique about what I reference. Um, so that is what I drew from the conversation around attachment and identity in social media um, and business um, and uh, branding. So this idea of self and attachment to personal identity and possession of material things, and then no self emptying to the true interconnectedness of all things. Um, there's a lot of parallel into these topics that, um, that I've brought uh, forward today. So I did want to talk uh, a little bit about um, entrepreneurism and the types of characteristics that they say make a really good entrepreneur. Um, okay. Pardon me? Make a what? Entrepreneur. Oh. So entrepreneur, and sorry, I'm just assuming that everybody knows what it is. So an entrepreneur is somebody who starts their own business. And an entrepreneur could be a farmer, somebody who farms for themselves, or it could be somebody who's founded a company like Microsoft, like Bill Gates, so, and everything in between. Um, the majority of the economy in the United States and businesses and business economy is built on small business, so it's not really the corporations, it's very small business around the area. Um, so what they say around uh, the characteristics of an entrepreneur is that um, you're insecure because you are trying to start something new and you're not quite sure of the end result, and so therefore you're, you tend to push yourself to try to be successful. But they also say that you're fearless and that you're putting yourself out there into this totally unknown territory and you're willing to take the challenge. Um, that you're also malleable so that you are somebody who um, is in the present moment and is really going with the flow. You rise to the occasion, so when there is a challenge, you take it on. Um, they tend to be outsiders, so they tend to be people that are not accepted. 
in normal and social norms. They have an idea. It's usually refuted in some way. So they decide to take charge and go forward to execute their idea into something new. And they also have the ability to recover quickly. So basically you fall down, you get back up, you fall down, you get back up. And those entrepreneurs that go on to be successful are the ones that continually fail lots and lots and lots of failure. And they learn from their failure and they move on. Um, Similar to, I guess, uh, trained athletes. So some of the most successful athletes are people who have failed and failed and failed and failed. And the reason why they've become so good at what they do is lots and lots of practice and lots of failure. Um, so as I was reading this in my for my research um, on a paper I was doing this weekend, we had a discussion board and people were asked to uh, describe uh, a characteristic in an entrepreneur that you identified with and said, sure, that kind of makes sense. And what was one that you were really surprised by and why. And so in one class, I have a couple hundred people. It's online. In another class, it's much smaller. And so the majority of people in this smaller class posted insecurity. They were really, really surprised that people who are fearless and malleable and rise to the Cajun and they're an outsider and they accept challenge, they recover quickly, the fact that they would have this insecurity. And so I thought that was really interesting. And the majority of people... Um, said that. So when I thought about my practice um, and around somebody, being somebody who likes challenge and likes to put themselves out there into new and uncharted territories, there is, I think, this natural insecurity of, I have no idea what I'm doing. Who am I to think that I have this great idea and that people will want to champion along with me? Am I doing the right thing? So you're constantly in this state of, of flux and suffering, but for people who are uh, motivated and, and I guess empowered by this, it, it is this weird juxtaposition where this insecurity, but this fearlessness. So um, there may be a, a further topic for discussion on how we embrace that in our practice. But um, I did do a little research on how to embrace being an insecure entrepreneur. And there were four things that uh, really connected with me around this uh, understanding that you have this insecurity and how to work through it and how to um, balance it into helping yourself be a, either a better person or a more balanced or healthy or happy person. So um, one of the four things was ultimately you need to be honest with yourself and you need to be Authentic. So again, with an identity, if you're trying to be somebody else to be bigger than you are, ultimately uh, people will see through that and that authenticity really won't come through in anything you're trying to achieve, whether you're trying to start a nonprofit or start an organization or start a company, the authentic uh, self and honesty is really important. Um, one area is that oftentimes entrepreneurs think big, they have an idea and they want to go really big. I want to save the world. Um, I want to be Amazon. Um, I want to, um, I want to, you know, build a retreat center that world renowned philosophers and Buddhist practitioners come for all the world. And, and oftentimes if you start so big, ultimately it will fail because you haven't done the work to go through to understand one, is this anything that anybody wants? And two, do you even have the ability to achieve? So 
the practice and the incremental steps and being present is really important. So in this instance, it's important that you embrace that smaller is better. So you start with an idea and you work your way out. Um, one of the important practices with entrepreneurism is that you're constantly in customer discovery, which means you are constantly talking to people. You are always understanding what it is that people need and how your ideas can support them. Or if you start an organization, I would say like OON, um, in an entrepreneurial aspect, it's important that you're constantly talking to the Sangha. Um, is, if the Sangha is present and lots of people are participating, you still want to know why that's happening so you continue to, to kind of build off their energy. Or if you have you know, low participation, why are people not able to come? And so that constant dialogue is really important not only when you're um, building an organization, but also being able um, to maintain it. Um, the other piece around entrepreneurism, which I thought really pivoted well into community and Sangha, is that many entrepreneurs who start an idea, a company or a business, if they do it alone, the majority of them fail. They call them solopreneurs. The reason why is that if you are one person with a great idea, Ultimately, you're trying to serve others, whether you have a product or service, and so the community is really important. So if you go it alone, ultimately, you can't do everything. So when I think of the Sangha and I think of Mado here um, being the founder um, and the property manager and the account person and the bookkeeper and the cook and the chef and the groundskeeper, and the marketer and the emails and all of that is that it's impossible. The, the people who put themselves in that or end up being in that position, the organizations usually fail. Um, and that is why it's very important that you partner or at least you message out that you need support and help people come in to support you in various roles. Um, for me, ultimately, when I had my small business, I had a small design and art consulting business in Boulder. Ultimately, it failed because... I tried to do it alone. I delegated things that I thought other people could do, but I really wanted to be in charge. And ultimately, I was not a tax accountant and I was not a bookkeeper. And those were the two things that kept my um, business from staying afloat. Um, in hindsight, if I had gone back again, I probably would have brought in the right people. Um, so anyway, um, through that conversation, uh, I thought there were some really interesting um, correlations between business and entrepreneurism um, and community and communication, um, of which here at, at OON, we are an organization and a community. And there's some fundamental things around business that really parallel to how we can um, continue to sustain and even go on to be um, better. Um, so I was talking about interconnectedness. Uh, I was downstairs two weeks ago and there was a stack of Shambhala Suns. Um, Judy, did you leave these or? Did I what? Did you leave, the, did you leave these magazines or did? No, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so there was a stack of Shambhala Sun and I grabbed, um, I don't even know if this was the one on the top. But um, I saw Buddhist wisdom for difficult times. I thought, oh, we're in some difficult times, so I'll take this. But I ended up going through, and there was uh, like an eight-page article on um, 
this gentleman, uh, Chade Mang Tan, who was employee number 107 at Google. Um, and what happened with him and what I want to talk about is, and I actually have a picture to show of him. Um, so it was great to find this article because it really helped me in the research I'm doing and also this talk is um, Chade Mang Tan founded a company as an entrepreneur, he started an organization inside Google. So actually what it's called is an intrapreneur. So somebody who takes entrepreneurial uh, traits and ideas and brings it inside an organization. So he is an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur. Um, he just, he, when the company went public, he became very, very wealthy, very wealthy. Um, but he found that once he had worked in the company had achieved this goal that he was really being driven by wanting to find meaningful work. And he didn't necessarily want to leave Google, but he knew at this point in time he had done all he could do. And so he found himself being driven to uh, working towards efforts to um, bring about, I think the, the larger term he used was world peace, but essentially what he wanted to do was work for an organization that was, was contributing to greater good. Um, he actually gave $1 million to the Center for Compassion Research and Education at Stanford. And the Center for Compassion Research and Education at Stanford was actually seated by the Dalai Lama, which was very interesting. Um, I don't know if you know much about Silicon Valley, but many, many successful entrepreneurs came from Stanford. And Stanford is a fantastic institution. Um, so he either studied there or he knew about it, but he gave a million dollars. Um, and ultimately, some of the work that um, Chade Meng Tan went on to do uh, was supported by the Dalai Lama. So I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so some of the things that inspired Chang Meng Tan to come up with um, an, an idea or an organization inside this big company um, was that there was... A lot of suffering there. Um, essentially, the anxiety and the pressure to succeed um, did bring about suffering um, for people who were so focused on being successful. And although Google has this mantra, I mean, I, I'm not here to promote Google at all. I'm really just kind of using Google as an example to tell a story. Um, but their mantra at one point in time was don't be evil. <laughs> and so... I don't know what people's interpretation now because it is an interesting, um, they're a pretty big company around the world and there are a lot of people that don't like Google at all. Um, but ultimately they had a, a tagline of don't be evil and the culture was grounded in being respectful of others' time and space and they gave every amenity to make work more enjoyable, healthy, and creative. Um, and ultimately, employees at Google had a lot of autonomy and were urged to be free spirits. And the company actually gave them one full day a week, one out of five days a week to work on any project or any idea that gave them meaning, brought meaningfulness to them. And they were paid for that time. And some of these ideas went on to be something, some things that Google embraced and funded. And others were just a matter of you have one day a week. We invest in you as an individual to do whatever it is that you want. No, it has, this does not need to have any financial gain at all. It's just something we want to invest in you. Um, so that being said, um, 
employees at Google are given a lot of autonomy. They're urged to be free spirits. Um, many of the employees at Google spend around 20% of their time, so that was one of the five days, um, working on endeavors for saving the world through technology. Um, so men coming up in this culture, the company going public, giving money to the uh, Center for Compassion Research, he wanted to start a program within Google um, around um, mindfulness and that ultimately with persistent intention, this is the environment that helps bring about great ideas. Um, so Meng um, met um, with an American Buddhist nun, um, Sangye Kondra, if you're familiar with her. Um, she was uh, from his native Singapore, and it was on this trip to Singapore when he spent time with her that she told him that uh, all of Buddhism is about suffering. <laughs> so don't quote me on that. But that was his aha moment when he came back from Singapore, spent time with this uh, Buddhist nun, and um, came back um, and realized that this was his uh, continued life, life work and that what he wanted to do was dedicate his life and his work to humanity. And so instead of going out and trying to save the world, he decided to stay in Google and decided to create a program to work with individuals in that space. Um, and so this is where the program Search Inside Yourself was born. Um, and Search Inside Yourself is a program that didn't really focus on stress reduction because people in tech and business are often rewarded for stress and positive outcomes. So he felt like the stress message or brand really wasn't going to work. So he had to kind of pivot this to be something that would be meaningful, that people would embrace and participate because ultimately he really wanted to have a lot of participants and bring about a lot of change within the organization. And ultimately people would have these ideas that would foster change in the company and foster greater um, good. So his mantra was creating world peace from within, focusing on the individual, not from the outside. And I think he realized that that was just too great of a task and this is something he could control. So he built the program in partnership with Mirabai Bush of the Center for Contemplative Mind and Society. Um, as well as Norman Fisher, who is a student of Sanyo Suzuki Roshi and former abbot of the San Francisco Zen Center. So it was quite a serious undertaking. Um, they, they definitely took this entrepreneurial perspective and brought it in-house, and they really brought in the right people um, to build this program. So search inside yourself. The program itself includes a full-day meditation practice, and six two-hour meditation centers, each a week apart. And the classes are usually anywhere from 20 to 50 people. Um, I imagine as this program grew, um, Google is very focused on outcomes. So it wasn't people coming out and go, oh, that was really great. They actually used data and they brought in some neuroscientists. So they really wanted to measure if the work that they were doing actually had an impact on the people. Um, and therefore maybe went on to see if the contemplative work that the employees were doing had an effect on the personal selves and then had an impact on the work and the ideas that were being turned out through Google. So um, 
The program uh, has a focus on neuroscience of emotional intelligence, so it's self-awareness, social awareness, and it's self-management, relationship management. Emotional intelligence really appealed to engineers and high-achieving people because they oftentimes have problem um, dealing with difficult conversations. <laughs> so the focus on these emotional intelligence, self and social awareness, especially relationship and um, management, um, especially with entrepreneurs and people who are very particular and very sharp, um, people who um, went through this training, it helped them as leaders to be able to manage conversations and even manage themselves um, with challenging opportunities. Uh, there's base, basic mindfulness in the program. There is instruction in journaling as a means of non-judgmental, non noticing mental content, mindful listening, walking meditation, mindful emailing. Um, and then they went in the latter stages of the program included loving kindness meditation, um, more enhanced social skills. Um, and one thing that was noted um, in the article that I read, not, the word Buddhism was never used throughout this program, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and that's kind of the close of this scenario. Um, they, Meng and others who were a part of um, helping to support or develop this program, when they decided to take a scientific approach to the benefits of meditation that was data-driven, they actually reached out to the Dalai Lama to talk about data and technology and mindfulness in a corporation. And he, he encouraged them to use these practices to measure um, its success. Um, so uh, this is actually a picture of Meng with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. on, the pic on the page before, there's actually a picture of him with Al Gore and President Clinton and Hillary Clinton and um, some other uh, famous athletes. So there's some pop culture in there. Um, but there is that photo with Meng and the Dalai Lama. So um, really a wonderful things that um, can happen um, within a company as large as uh, Google. Now, they still have work to do, and they need to be held accountable for issues around privacy and gathering our data and things like that. But um, this was one individual within that company that I think had a, had a really big impact on how they um, work and do business. So uh, the other uh, thing I wanted to talk about uh, that came up in the conversation two weeks ago was around branding and identity. So I mentioned there was this episode, um, a podcast called Hidden Brain. Um, I buy, therefore I am, how brands shape our identities. And this is a program, Hidden Brain is hosted by Shankar Vedantam. And um, he interviewed a professor of marketing at Wharton um, Business School, Americas, Re Americas Reed, um, an African-American um, professor at Wharton. And so this is a really, really interesting podcast because it did talk about brand identity and individuals associating themselves with companies and brands um, and how these companies make lots of money and profit off of it. Um, so as we talk about um, the origin of suffering and his attachment and attachment to identity and possession and material things, um, there are some people who um, 
may not see that the attachment to the products they buy cause suffering or the identity they have with personal um, business brands causing suffering. But um, you could certainly, if you don't know of people, maybe you've experienced yourselves, you know, feeling a compulsion to buy something um, either because it makes you feel good or it makes you look rich or it shows that you have an identity towards a certain cause. Um, the clothes you wear, the car that you drive, the kind of house that you build, um, the yogurt brands, um, all, I mean, it's really just so many things. So there are many people who are aware of, of this conundrum and, and really kind of stay outside of, um, kind of, um, this, uh, attachment, I wouldn't say attachment, what I want to say, um, consumerism. But there are some really great companies and brands out there doing some really good things, and I will talk about them. Um, but again, these are companies that are doing really good things that you buy and then you associate yourself with your brand and identity. Um, so uh, are you keeping time as well? Yeah, you've got about five minutes. Okay. So just uh, quickly, I did want to talk about um, – so Hidden Brain um, talks about – Brand, which is a name, a term, a design, or symbol, or any other feature that identifies one seller's good or services as distinct from those of other sellers. So basically, a brand is saying, we have this mission, um, we have this look about our product, and we're trying to um, embrace this type of consumer into buying um, our products. Uh, and ultimately, what brands are doing is associating their product with your personal story. So the brands that do really well are trying to build their product and service into your personal story. Um, for example, Apple, uh, I actually have two Apple devices here. One I needed to use to record because the recording machine was broken. And then the other, I typed my um, research notes on my Apple laptop which synced to my iPad, and so I was able to bring my iPad today to read from. Um, and last night I was watching TV on my Apple TV, of which I just talked to Mado this morning about this really great uh, program around immigrants called Little America. So I will raise my hand and say that I am somebody that associates myself with the Apple brand. Um, but one of the things that Apple did was they uh, did lots of research and social listening in social media. And they found that there was a religious, almost um, a religious kind of tone and conversation around people that associated themselves with the Apple brand. Um, really powerful for them. Um, now, th this is a company that could use this for good or for bad, but obviously Apple has a great um, understanding of its brand identity. Um, there's also another aspect of branding, which right now in kind of the socio-political realm is with um, Democrats and Republicans. So there is a brand and a value that you have in voting with one organization and a brand and a value you have with another. And so those organizations understand that as well. And so when you say you're a Republican or you say you're a Democrat or you say that you are a green party or independent, um, those organizations understand your association with your values. Um, and some may work that to their advantage or to their not, not, or, or not for good. Um, so there are, uh, 
companies out there where they have built a brand for a force for good that are mission-driven companies. So um, Greenpeace, Goodwill, Patagonia, the American Cancer Society, Naropa University, Shambhala Magazine, and ultimately Oon. If we were to think about the brand, um, if somebody were to ask, you know, tell me about Oon. When you think about Oon, what is its brand essence? What is what is its purpose, and what do you what comes to mind when you think about it? Um, and so, there ultimately, Oon is listed here with many very um, good brands. Some other um, brands that are the B corporations that are a force for good. So these are the companies that have gone through rigorous um, uh, verification of. Everything that they do is for the good of their stakeholders, not their shareholders. Ultimately, it's very community-driven. So Ben & Jerry's is a certified B Corps. Stonyfield Organic is a certified B Corps. Cabot Cheese is a, mentioning all these food brands. But there's actually a bank out there, Amalgamated Bank, which is a B Corporation, which means everything that they do, every practice, every product, um, every interaction goes back to sustainability and they think about um, their employees and their vendors and um, their carbon emissions and everything. Um, very focused on, on sustainability. Um, so anyway, I think I got to the last few minutes. Um, but anyway, that, um, that is my talk today. I hope that there's some aspect in what I've related that connects with you either through a personal brand or a company or a product you buy or how you brand yourself or um, anything that correlates to the work that we do here um, in Oan. Um, 